y'all, it's LeVar here, and this is the first episode of my new bonus series called Stories with Friends. This one features a conversation with my good friend, Miss Amanda Seals, and our conversation really (laughs) runs the gamut. We talk about the joy that is the Scholastic Book Fair, Uh, we talk about life philosophies, exercising judgment, finding spaces for intellectual conversation. And I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say we even had a couple of little revelations. We're releasing this episode for free to thank you all for listening and to give you a chance to see if you even like the series. If you decide that you do, you can listen to the rest by signing up at stitcherpremium.com. And if you use the code word LeVar, that's L-E-V-A-R, you'll get one free month of premium on me. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, y'all, welcome to the first episode of a special series I'm doing called Stories with Friends. It's kind of like a podcast book club. In each one of these episodes, I'm asking a friend to bring a piece of fiction for us to talk about, something that's really resonated deeply with them. And we'll end up talking about their reading habits, the power of the written word, and a whole lot more. So if you want to follow along with this week's story pick, you'll want to check out the story Mammy by Dorothy West. It's been collected in a couple of books, and we've got links to those collections in the episode description right here. And my guest today is Amanda Seals. She's a stand-up comedian, actress, and a writer. You may know her as Tiffany Dubois on HBO's Insecure, and as the creator, host of LA's hit live black culture game show, Smart, Funny, and Black. She also hosts a podcast called Small Doses, and she's written a new book out on October 22nd called, what else? Small Doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use. Small Doses is comprised of essays, thoughts, and stories connected to Amanda's own personal, humorous methodology for living life. I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend Amanda because, for me, she is not only fiercely intelligent, she is committed to making a difference in life through her art, with her craft, and I so admire anyone who takes absolute responsibility for the content that they create and wants their impact, their footprint, to be one of meaning in this world. Let's hear my conversation with Amanda Seals. I was, am, and continue to be an Amanda Seals fan. (laughs) I will never get used to that. <laughs> so I don't know if that flatters you or concerns it, you, but I will never get used it, to hearing it's, that. It's true. Let's talk short stories. Let's talk short stories. So. I read several for this. You did? Yes. Well, I, I didn't mean for the process to be stressful. It wasn't stressful. And honestly, it was very like, how you got so many short stories and short story books in your house and you haven't read mm-hmm. all of them? <laughs> so what do you think of the, of, of the form, the genre? Short story. Short story is very similar to sketch. Yeah? It's very similar to comedy sketch. How so? Because you've got to get a premise across in a very finite, you know, Mm. amount of time. And there has to be enough of a turn at the end for it to have made 
the reader feel like this was worthwhile. You know, because in a longer form, there's so much more space that even if the ending isn't great, you may have got some stuff. through. It's not like an M. Night Shyamalan film. You may have got some stuff in the midst, you know, because if an M. Night Shyamalan film doesn't get you at the end, you're like, why did we do this? Right. Why? That's two hours of my life. I shall never recover. I shall. Ne- it was a mist. <laughs> what you mean? It was a mist the whole time. You know. <laughs> like, so in the short story form, it's just like sketch where like that hitch has to hit you. Yeah. It has to hit you or else it just feels like, well, you just didn't want to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> and so with the with the story that I chose, the hitch hit me later. <laughs> and that was what I was reading. I had read two other stories after I read this one and was in the middle of, the, of a third story. And then the hitch hit me and it caught me in my neck. Yes. And I was like, oh, that's the one. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. okay, I got it. Because at first I finished it and was like, ugh, this, she could have just read a book. This is, and I had to go back and be like, is this an excerpt? What? <laughs> and so then when it hit me, I was like, oh. And then it also hit me on a number of levels because it also hit me in how it applies to a bigger conversation about society, how, yeah. it convers- how it applies to a bigger conversation about the black community, right. how it applies to a bigger conversation about what we as our individual selves choose to be our own ethics. Mm. <laughs> what did you read as a child? I mean, what what was the first body of literature that you were drawn to? Um, anything Judy Bloom. Ah, Judy Bloom fan. Anything Judy Bloom. Right? Um, Beverly Cleary. Yes. Uh I was I would, I would I would also read books that I learned from reading Rainbow. Like, that was a big thing. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, okay, mom, get me that one in the Scholastic. <laughs> when the Scholastic book bus right? comes, a Scholastic book fair was like, That's... this is a party. Who doesn't remember? Listen, my nostalgia self, excuse me, I wouldn't be surprised if you just come up on a birthday party that looks like a Scholastic book fair. Like, that's something I feel like I would do. And people would be like, oh, my God. Right? You know, when they would have, like, the big Clifford the Red Dog and... Um, what else was I reading? Babysitter's Club, mm-hmm. Boxcar Kids. Um, and I was a reader. Mm. I was a very avid reader. And I don't get to read that much at this point in my life. And I've started, you know, it's unfortunate that this, this was the catalyst. But with Toni Morrison's passing, mm. I've forced myself, like, you better get back into this book. And I actually, like, stopped myself this weekend and gave an hour to reading. And I know that that might not seem like a lot to folks, but... It just kind of has to get put back on your schedule. It does. When I lived in New York and I'm riding the train, yeah. it was an easier thing to just kind of integrate into my lifestyle. But um, I started reading Sula again because mm. I had a college professor. When we read Sula, I was a freshman. I was a sophomore in college. Where'd you go? I went to SUNY Purchase for undergrad right. and Columbia for grad. And Columbia for grad, right. And in undergrad, she was like, you know, I, without giving the story away, Sula does something in the book mm. that is like, very like, oh, wow, that is a strong choice. <laughs> and all of us in the class were just, just, just horrified. We're all black girls in this class, all right? And we were all just like, this is just, she is trifling. And our professor was like, one day you will understand. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what, let me read this book again and see if I understand. Let me see if that day has come. And? Because it's 20 years later. And you know what? I haven't reached the part in the book yet. Okay. I know it's coming. Right. But I think I understand. Already. I do. Yeah. Because at that age, everything is very black and white. Sure. 
And I'm getting to a much more, not gray area, but just that. Layered. Layered. Yeah. Yeah. Like some things are black with a purple tinge. (laughs) There's just, there's just things, some things are just not, I I mean, and people know me to be a very decisively like, this is right and this is wrong. Mm. But I think that what ends up being the gray area is like, what is the intention? Like, what is the intention? And also like, what is this person's history? How did they get here? Like. Because what I may look at and think is their intention could become very different when I know the background of how they got here. Mm-hmm. You know? Everybody's story matters, doesn't it, in terms of how we hold them? And it's taxing. Yeah. It's work. That's why I only have like six people on my <laughs> on my caller, like speed call now. Right. Speed dial. Because like you get older and you're just like, I can't even carry all y'all stories. Mm. <laughs> like, but reading and bringing it back into my life has been really great. Uh I went to school for originally as an acting major. Mm -hmm. And then I was, I created a black studies major because they didn't have one at the school at the time. So I created black studies with the concentration, the visual and performing arts. And then I was an African-American studies major at Columbia. So I got to have a wealth of specifically African-American literature in my craw. And then I went to Dr. Phillips High School in Orlando Mm. and I had incredible English teachers. So I really have had just like a great life of literature. My mother is a lover of literature. She's a bibliophile. It's not even just a lover of literature. She wants the physical book. My mom will not read my book until I give her the physical book. She doesn't want any. I sent her the digital, copy. and she was like, "You know, man, I just, I can't. I want to touch it." <laughs> I, I was like, "Ah, I need you to read it to make sure I didn't play myself." I literally sent my book out to like. A, a bunch of people was like, I just need y'all to let me know if I played myself because yeah. I started reading Souls of Black Folk again. Okay. And as I started rereading W.E.B. Du Bois' Souls of Black Folk, I had to put it down. And you got was more, like, more, more and more militant? Well, I just was like, did I, have I contributed to the cultural canon? Because I don't want to have not contributed to the cultural yes. canon. Yes. Because that's how I really feel about this art. Yeah. If I'm not contributing to the canon, I need to pause. And I have created stuff that was like, you know what? This is not a contribution to the canon. Yeah. We're going to have to look, come, let's come up with something new. Wow. And so I caught myself and I sent it to my professor, Donna Davis, who was the person who shaped my like academic ideology. Okay. And who was the person who really informed me of the concept that pop culture is a part of our social makeup mm-hmm. and can be academic and mm. can be very much a indicator of like what society is doing mm-hmm. and how we're moving mm-hmm. and especially pop culture as an integral part of black culture, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I sent it to her and she was like, she was like, you know, send it to me, send it to me. And then she didn't respond. And you all, when I tell you that I, for three weeks in the back of my mind was just like, so I guess I guess she I guess she, I guess she doesn't like it mm. you know like she didn't see she didn't say anything she doesn't right. she hasn't responded so I guess you know it's like it's fine it's mm. fine I mean but you know like, I mean she could have responded she could have responded she could have said something but it's fine it's fine and on that call the original call she had said that um, she had never flown first class we were just talking mm. and she had said she had never flown first class and I was like well that's what I'm gonna do for you. Mm-hmm. Because you are one of my greatest professors of all time. I'm going to upgrade you to first class on your next international flight. So she was going to Spain. And so I upgraded her to first class on her flight. And so I got the notice about the flight. And I texted her and said, have a great trip. Really glad that I could help make the experience better. And she was like, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I love the book. I'm sorry, what? I called her immediately. Right? And I was like, Professor Davis, what do you, she she wants me to call her Donna and I just can't. Professor Davis, um, what do you mean? She's like, well, I sent you several emails. 
Now, the machines don't want us to win, y'all. Okay? The machines don't want us to win. And I, she had sent them in the thread, and the, the first email said, thank you. Right. For the book, but that's all it said. So I never opened it because uh, I read it and, and it said thank you. There were all these stacked up behind they it. They were stacked up behind it. She had emailed me while she was reading oh. it and was like, oh my God, I love this line. Oh, this is great. Da, da, da. She was like, Amanda, I read your book in a day and a half. She's like, I never read anything that fast. I was like, I fell to my knees and whipped. Yeah, I wept. Yes. And um, and that that was like, okay. And my uncle had said to me, Amanda. Because he's a judge in Grenada. Amanda, you know, a book is a deposition. Hmm. A book is a deposition. So edit it and edit it twice. (laughs) Ah, Wisdom. That's wisdom. Listen, thank goodness he said that to me. Because when I read it the second time, I realized how many times I had taken for granted that someone would just know what I mean. Ah. And I'm writing material in this book that is so... Personal? Some of it is personal. Some of it is just... Some of it is political. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's commentary. Mm-hmm. It's specific, so that in the sense that if it's specific, you can't get general, right? With what you mean. Mm-mm. And so I was glad that he had given me that mm. because I was like, oh, I just saved myself from so much trolling. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, my book yeah. is like a bible for trolls. Okay, it's literally like if there's a troll workshop, they're going to be like, we don't need anything else on the but, syllabus but Amanda but, Seals's but book. Amanda Seals's book. Yeah, we about to hit her up. Hashtag. <laughs> so, because, you know, at this point, I feel like the concept of philosophizing, mm-hmm. the concept of thinking about things to get to a further advancement mm-hmm. is getting lost. It's over. I'm over thinking about it. People don't want to think. I want to do. Yeah. yeah. They don't want to discuss. Right. They don't want to... Consider, mm. you know, everyone seems to just be landing at these like really bottom line points. You know, people are writing thoughtless thought pieces, mm. you know, and it says to me that like we really, we're not even using our human brains at the full extent of their capabilities when we do that. When we see these awesome videos, like, well, you see, they always share these videos of like Baldwin, mm. just like mm. speaking, mm-hmm. right? But he's speaking and as he's speaking, you can see the thoughts happening you know you can see him considering and moving and and when people, someone asks him a question quantifying it in a number of ways we see this with ali, muhammad ali mm-hmm. on video we see this with malcolm x on mm-hmm. videos like these are people don't understand these men weren't showing up with a script right and answering the questions from a script no they were thinking about things and they were saying them as they thought about them and they weren't always speaking in a declarative tone right and we don't have that space Anymore, it feels like everybody feels like whatever you're saying is what it is, and that's it. And you could get canceled for it because how dare you? And I'm like, no, like there has to be safe spaces for intellectual conversation and thought. Mm-hmm. And I really listen. I try and live in that space so that other people can help enter that space and make it bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you're at the club and like two people start dancing, and you're like, oh shit, make the circle bigger, make it bigger, yeah, make it bigger. Some more people gonna get in the circle, yeah, you know, and that's. That's what I try and do on my Instagram. Right. That's what I try and do with Smart, Funny, and Black. That's what we try and do with Smart, Funny, and Black's Instagram. Right. I call it an intellectually lit, <laughs> a space for the intellectually lit. Uh-huh. Because I have a lot of people tell me, especially Black folks, that when they try to speak intellectually about things on certain forums, that they are harangued, mm-hmm. that they are criticized, shouted down. Shouted mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. And I have a segment on 
the Smart, Funny, and Black Instagram called A Word from Our Headmaster Blacksburg. And I used to do it just me like ranting about something, but I was like, well, I do enough of that on my Instagram, on my own Instagram. Like we need to do something unique for the Smart, Funny, and Black page. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll do something that's just like taking like black colloquialisms and like speaking about them. Because, you know, it's funny and, and bringing them funny. And our social media uh, master, she was like, you know, though I think that would be funny, what's interesting is that we get such a response from people on the page whenever we talk about like history or serious topics mm -hmm. because it feels like they don't really get, get to do that. Yes. They don't really get to have intellectual conversation anywhere that way. else in their lives. So she was like, I think if there's a way that you can kind of integrate that. And so now what we do, because people always talk about my vocabulary. Yes. So now what we do with a word from my headmaster Blacksburg is I always I teach a word. Good. And so the word, like we've done surreptitious. Mm -hmm. Uh we've done uh deleterious. Mm -hmm. We've done pyrrhic. Mm -hmm. Um and what was what was great was the response was exactly what we thought. Whereas, like, I use my humor right. to teach this word yeah. and to help enhance, you know, people's vocabulary. vocabulary. And people are thankful for it. And then we ask people to use it in a sentence. Yeah. So you'll have people in the sentence be like, um, <laughs> like, yeah, my 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 homegirl thought she was being surreptitious when she tried to steal my man. <laughs> and I'm like, but I love it because yes. that's that's the beauty of blackness too. Yes. It's just our ability to create words yeah. and to change and 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 innovate and and, uh, and, and advance and imbue with flavor with flavor. Like yeah. the just the amount of seasoning that was yeah. put on that surreptitious yes. was not surreptitious at all. Not at all. And so that you know that's that's what reading has been able to do in my work is like even just having those words. Yeah. So we're talking about Dorothy West's story, Mammy, um, and even the title, right? Even the title is not neutral. No. And without giving away, because I really do want you to read this story yourself um, before you listen to this conversation. I want you to have read this story. So without giving anything away, it's about a social worker, yes. basically, who is on a visit um, following up on a claim that's been made by a woman of color who is a domestic. Yes. Um, and, and works for a white woman and her family. A rich. A rich. A rich, former, a rich Southern white woman yes. who's now living in Harlem. In, in, well, she's living in the Upper West Side. In, on, in the Upper West Side. I think that's an important. It, you're, you're absolutely right. It is. It, it it is, and it's an important distinction. She is very wealthy, and southern, and southern. And she says it at one point. Um, this woman, I've I've had Mammy in my life, all my life, or words to that effect, yes. right? With no irony, irony no self consciousness about it at all. And because the story is is written through the eyes of this black woman social worker, we really do feel the 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 shock and the insult that that feels like to this black woman to have this white woman be so unconsciously possessive over someone over another human being, mm -hmm. and the fact that it is tied to her con her continued desire to possess her. That's correct. It's not just I've had Mammy in my life all my life. It's and I still want Mammy in my life because right. my daughter needs her. Needs her. Right. Needs her. My daughter needs her. Needs her. So she can't 
have her own life. And 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 I must say that what we discover in the, in the story is that Mammy has left. Mammy has made a decision that that she wants to live the rest of her life uptown with people who look like her, mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to have to be responsive to the needs of anyone else in her life. And so she has applied for relief, which was the former name for welfare. Yes. Public assistance. Right. She's applied for relief so that she can support herself and retire. Exactly. And apparently the protocol was that the social worker needs to go and confer with the employer. And I guess what I inferred from it was that Mammy had said she was fired. Yes. And so you you can get relief if you've been fired, but not if you quit. That's correct. And so she was going to just, you know. It was pro forma. She literally thought she was going in there to just lickety split. Yep. yep. This all seems very, very. Open and shut case, Johnson. Open and shut. Yes. But it wasn't. No. It wasn't. And it wasn't from the moment she got in the elevator. That's the truth. That's. And so that, you know, when the hitch hit me. Yes. It was because I had forgotten about the elevator. Uh-huh. And then it hit me because it was, oh, there was a hypocrisy there. Yes. There was a, there's a relationship to elitism mm-hmm. there that mm-hmm. this social worker didn't realize for her that she had played into. Yes. And that she was... Advancing a part of it, Mammy realized it. Yes, you can't just da, 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 da. yeah. No, it's my job. Right, it's my job. It's my job. And you know, I had a situation happen recently mm-hmm. where I was escorted out of a party mm-hmm. um, unjustly by security mm-hmm. guards who had been. Oh, you mean escorted out? Oh yeah, four security guards escorted me out of a party because I was quote unquote not on the list for a black <sighs> Emmy party. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh. Wait a minute. You're Amanda Seals. Like, which doesn't mean much in some spaces, but in a black any party space, like, there's value there. There's certainly (laughs) enough value so that even though your name might not be on the list, you are welcome. It would be seen as an oversight. Exactly right. Exactly. Seen as an oversight. Yeah, sure. So I was escorted out. By four security guards, one of which who was very kind, I will say. And he kept saying, I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm just doing my job. I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm just doing my job. And I'd never pull the do you know who I am card because we just don't do that. No, we don't. But in this moment, when we got outside on the curb, I said, I want you to look me up. Because there are times when we're doing our job and it literally is just that, like we're following an order. Yeah. But the reality is, is that much of the ire and the foulness that has been had hap- that has happened in this world and in history mm-hmm. has been by people doing their job mm-hmm. by people who are carrying out the orders of others mm-hmm. who are simply just handing down dictums these, mm-hmm. yeah these these malintentions mm-hmm. and i said so even though you're doing your job you're going to google me and you're going to see how dumb mm-hmm. you look and how foolish these people had you be, the foolery that people had you be involved in. A part of. And yeah. I said, what happens is that when we just say, I'm just doing my job, what we're doing is we are trying to remove ourselves, we're trying to absolve ourselves from the individual agency that we have to make good decisions. Right. And sometimes you got to be like, hold on, bros, let's discuss this. But you know what? Money make the world go around. 
And a lot of times people just really let money take them down a road. And in Mammy's story, like there's, and you you can't judge, but you have to judge. And I hate, I hate that people talk about like, I don't judge. I'm like, BS. Yeah. It's not that you don't judge. You just judge based on different metrics. Yeah. And you can have good judgments and bad judgments. As we all do. We judge all day. You got to judge your distance to, to, <laughs> to parallel park. Yes. You know, you're mm-hmm. judging if somebody, you're judging. If you're in New York, you have to judge which side of the block you're going to walk down. Because mm. if they playing dice on this side. Mm-hmm. But they're just standing on the corner smoking on this side. I'm going to walk down the dice block because they're not going to holler at me because they don't want to take their, 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 their eyes off, off the, the game. Money. That's right. So I'm going to do the dice block. Right. At the same time, you have to judge. How many people guessed the other way? Exactly. That means that you need to work on your street smarts. Because <laughs> let me tell you, if they play in the game, you're good. Uh, but this judgment, you got to make judgment calls, man. Yeah. We make judgment calls all day all about day. people, about what's, and it all ends up being, to me, it all ends up being about what's safe for you. Mm-hmm. It ends up at the end of the day being an instinctual, like, safety thing. Right. And who you determine to be in your circle. As parents, I feel like a lot of parents are trying to teach their kids, like, to have keen sense of judgment for their own personal safety. Don't hang out with those kids. Right. They're going to get you in trouble. Mm-hmm. Don't don't run in the street. You're going to mm-hmm. get hit. Don't put your hand on that. It's hot. Mm-hmm. It's judgment calls. Right. But as adults and as individuals with agency, some of our judgment calls are going to be about, like, saving a life. Right. Changing a life. You know, about helping someone. We make a judgment call when we pull up to a corner and decide, is this person worth my dollar? Mm-hmm. Does this person look destitute enough for my dollar? Mm-hmm. What are the what are the rules that I come up with to decide on whether or not I'm going to help this other human? Mm-hmm. And you, you know, everyone has their rules. Right. We all do. And no one wants to be judged upon their rules. Yeah, right. But at the end of the day, you got to look at your rules. We all <laughs> must be held accountable for our rules. So our friend in this story. Yeah was holding someone else accountable for their rules yes. and she wasn't looking at her own. She was not. And it hit me three stories later. <gasps> ah. They called this woman Mammy and she didn't even, she didn't even care. What? Right. Because it was her job. Yeah. So now Mammy got to go back downtown because and it was her job. Because it was her job. And you just wonder, you know, there's the 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 people who change this world are the people who figure out how to make their job work for the people yeah. and not just work for the money. I'm on it today. Yes, you are, Amanda I Seals. I got the lines today, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but I really believe that. No, you look at Schindler's List right, and it's like he right. could have said, like, listen, I'm just doing my job. Yeah. And he's like, you know what, though? With this job, <laughs> I could do so I much more. I could do so much more good for other people. So. Where there is a need, right? Where there's a need for light. There's always a need for light. You can't give everybody you can't give all your light to everybody, right. but you may you can bifurcate it a little bit. You know. Share it. Share it. Share it. Prism. Yeah. Give it a little slice of the prism. Yeah. You know? So well how about we do that? How about here's a spoiler alert, right? If you have not yet read the story, uh, put it on pause. Um, otherwise, we're, we're going to reveal um, some of the twists and turns that happen in the Dorothy West story. We're going to delve. Delving into Mammy. <laughs> Delving into Mammy. That and all like that a, that entails. Ooh, that's quite a film. <laughs> that's, yeah. Not to be confused with driving, Miss Daisy. Mm. Right? Because that's a whole other... It's a whole other thing. So... Mammy, it's the protagonist is a social worker, right? We talked about about how she 
um, is on, uh, she's doing her job. She's literally carrying out the function of her job, going out on this to interview, to verify this claim that's come in. But it, it, nothing is as it seems. No. Right? I mean, it's, it all seems so cut and dried, but life rarely is. The story, because even in the way that it's written, you know, that she walks in mm-hmm. and she sees the elevator mm. uh, controller, mm-hmm. the elevator operator, and that he's Young a black man. Young black and man. And she is relieved. Right. Because she's in a part of town that is predominantly white and she feels uncomfortable already. She's a black woman in white space. Yes. In a time period that is like the 40s. Mm-hmm. So she's already like, okay, I know I got to move a certain way in this space. Right. And a white woman got on the elevator with her. And when she, a, a white woman got on the elevator first. And when she got on the elevator, she thought that she would be welcomed right. by the black elevator operator. And so the fact that he admonished her and like embarrassed her by saying like, you need to go take the service elevator. She was done for. Right. Like she was like, this is, you know, and I would have felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it would have been like, how dare you? Because as a Black person in this country, I just feel like there's an unspoken camaraderie that many of us feel. A shared experience. A shared experience. And when you are. That experience being Black in America. Being Black in America and all that comes along with it, which in many cases has been oppression, suppression, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I I know that for me personally, I have a personal onus that says, like, if I can help us out in a situation, I'm going to help us out. Right. So if that means that I see a brother pulled over by the cops, like, I'm going to pull over and pull be a presence. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, if that means um, cre- making sure that I'm being conscious about hiring practices right. and making sure that I'm opening the space, mm-hmm. um, then there's that. If that means in my art, making sure that I'm making, co- like, responsible art that speaks to our experience in a in a authentic way there's that mm-hmm. so i think in this moment you know we see that our social worker felt left out yeah. right she felt like she didn't she felt that she was not being taken care of mm-hmm. in that way and i felt like she was right for feeling that way i agree but what what was wild is when she comes back in the elevator and he's like i apologize yeah I was just doing my job because that white woman that was in the elevator was so shady. She's yeah. so mean. She's terrible. so mean. She just got a guy fired, a black man. You see, we have a white doorman now. Right. Well, the, we used to have a black one, but this woman got him fired. So I'm sorry I had to throw you under the bus. I'm trying to protect trying my to... job. And she wasn't hearing it, though. No, she gave him no quarter. She gave him no slack. She it's didn't even look at him. None. For the entire ride down. So then in terms of her and that, conversation with the woman yes it was interesting because when i was reading it and I'm, i want to know what you think about this like when i was reading it i felt like she was listening to this woman with a side eye mm. i didn't necessarily think that she was taking everything the woman said as bar none and maybe i need to read it again i think that she was because even when the woman called mammy mammy she was like Okay. Yeah. But do you think that over the course of the conversation that she was moved by this woman into feeling that they had genuine... Need. Well, care. Because when she went to yes. go talk to Mammy, yeah. 
she was like, they care about you. They what are do. you talking they, about? They that, love you. That's... Mammy's like, they got me in a box behind the kitchen. <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. Right. And she's like, no, they love they you. They love you. But then Mammy was saying some things. I, I got to say, the turn that happens in this story is unusual in that, A, for whatever reason, I did not see it coming, and B, the weight of it. The, the reality of it floored me. When she referenced her daughter? Yes. Because she, she's being taken away from her life for this woman's, like, daughter. She's like, my yeah. daughter, my daughter, my daughter. And Mammy's like, well, you know, that that's my daughter. That was my daughter. Right. Was. Right. That was my daughter. Right. Because, and she's looking at a at a picture of this Woman of town, is she not? Yeah, she's that look- was. That was her daughter. Wait, what? Yes, that's not how you read it. No, <gasps> tell me more. Oh, Amanda Seals. I missed that. So I thought when she was talking about her own daughter because so many is. black mothers. No, she, because the social worker picks up the photo and says, "Oh, that's a picture of a young what's what's the woman's name, Mrs. Mason, I think." Right? Coleman. Mrs. Coleman, right? She says, that's a young Mrs. Coleman. And Mammy responds, that was my daughter. So do we take that literal or figurative? I take it. I took it literally. I took it literally that her daughter was passing and that she lived there with her daughter and her granddaughter, but that her daughter had after given the, birth to a dark-skinned baby. Her her her, grand, her granddaughter had. Yes. So you're. So I believe. Yeah, I believe that Mammy was the mother of the rich white lady uptown. Really. Yeah, that's how I read it. I am I wrong? Didn't take it that way. Am I wrong? Well, just in my just in a literal like southern yeah, sense. I get it. I took it as like figurative figurative daughter. No, I I think I may have overlooked when she said that looks like a young Miss Mason. Ah. And I just I think I may have skipped over that Ooh. and just went to that was my daughter. Just in the sense that so many black mo- black mothers yeah. had to raise white children yes. and not their own children. Right. That's right. And That's so right. in my mind, it was just mm-hmm. more so like looking at the social worker mm. because the social worker saw that and was just like, I got to do my job. And it's like, oh, so you didn't even get compelled by that. Oh, I did. That no, was, no, not you. I'm uh, saying the oh, social worker didn't uh, even get compelled by that. Yeah. Like, okay, so you're still stuck in this, I got to do my job. And, you know, essentially, like, Mammy is being treated as, like, you got to just do your job. Yeah. Which ends up just being a whole story about black folks having to work for white people. Yes. Against their will, right. even though slavery is done. <laughs> like, doing things, well, touche, um, on paper. Mm-hmm. But doing thing, having to work. Mm. In ways that don't feel right to them. For you. right? For you. Yeah. Right? And so I did not. Let me see that. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just let me see that. Here. Here. This little girl, she said, 
It's Mrs. Coleman, isn't it? The old woman did not look up. Her voice was her voice was still listless. That was my daughter. See now, see, I thought that she had just misread that she thought this was this was Mrs. Coleman, and she's like, no, no, that's not Mrs. Coleman. Keep reading. The investigator dropped the photograph on the bed as if it were a hot coal. Hmm. Right? Blindly, she went back to the bureau, gathered up the rest of the things, and dumped them over the photograph. She was an investigator, and it was two minutes to five. Her job was to give a, or withhold relief. So basically, she just was like, this is too deep. And this I is, just, I, can't I, I can't deal I gotta, with this, right? I, it's I two minutes, I've got to do my job, and I've got to get home to my family. But Mammy is like, I don't want to be back in that I family. That woman is I, the devil. She, and Mammy is right, because there's some very, fa- there's a foulness going on there, Right? Murder has taken place. Okay, so this is what I think. Okay, what do you think? Okay, that was a young Mrs. Coleman. Right? So Mrs. Coleman, the woman who's saying, Mammy's been in my life all my life. Yes. Was Mammy's baby. Right. However, Mrs. Coleman probably don't even know that Mammy is her mama. She she probably doesn't. She don't know that Mammy was her mom. That's correct. She thinks so, Mammy is her mammy. And so then Mrs. Coleman's daughter yes, had a baby. That's correct. And that baby came out dark skinned. I don't think so. There's no reference to that. The reason why I'm saying that okay. is because she was like, that baby didn't die. Right. That's right. And the mother is like distraught. Yeah. And the baby was removed. The baby was. So you know what? I'm I'm in agreement with you now. I I, I get that. I see that. Plot, so that's plot why Manny point. is like that. Baby didn't die. That baby didn't die. Right. And the mother is distraught. And you know, Miss Coleman says she can try again. Yes. Right. But Mammy is like, no, no. that. And 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 the thing is, is that the the social worker is being so frustrated with Mammy being vague. Right. And I guess when she sees the picture, the vagueness comes clear, and it's like, right. but. Still, but she, she still must kept with her job. Stay the course. She must stay the course. But see, that's re- to me when you say, "Well, we got to make a change. Right. Make that change." Right. Right. We got to Be- make a change because it's the right thing to it's do. It's the right thing to do. That's it. Right. There's literally no other. So often that that thought, that part of the thought process is absent for us. The because right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. I think a lot of people don't even know what the right thing to do is. I, 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 I hope that's not true. I, I'd like to believe that we all have an internal compass that, that informs us of what is right and what is wrong. I think that one of the things that seems to be going on is we are willing to lie to ourselves. Well, uh, there's that. And, and to the point where we begin to almost believe the lie that we're telling. I also think, though, that there's like a selfishness that starts to skew what is the right thing to do because mm. remember what I was saying about judgment calls? Yeah. Like it starts to end up being simply just about like, what's like, not just not, not necessarily what's safe for me, but like what serves me. What serves me. Yeah. What will bring me the best outcome for my agenda? Agenda is the key. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because sometimes what brings you the best outcome might be simply about like this is gonna make my day, or mm. this is gonna make someone else somebody day. else's this is day. gonna be altruistic, yeah. altruistic, and that's that. And you know, I had an interesting situation happen recently where I was driving to work. I had a like really early call on Insecure. It was like four thirty a.m. Mm-hmm. was our call. It was my first day of work for season four, and I 
saw a car accident had happened in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I saw that the person in the car was like moving back and forth. They were in shock. They were in incredible pain. Like pain. You could see it. Wow. Like I could just see the shadow of yeah. like someone who was like, ah. Yeah. And so I pulled over. Right. Um, and then this other, this brother pulled over and he was like, I'm going to go check. I'm going to go see what's going on. Right. And I called 911. Just a side note, 911 really is a joke. Like, yeah. that system is broken. Whew, I called, I said, hello, there's a car accident that's taking place. I'm on the south bound side of the 101 at the 110 South Harbor Exchange on the south side. Mm-hmm. She was like, I'm sorry, ma'am, where are you? <clears throat> I am on the south bound. And every, anyone who's listening who's from LA, you know exactly what I just said. Mm-hmm. You know exactly mm-hmm. where I am. Mm-hmm. I just gave you latitude and longitude. Right. You surely did. <laughs> she made me repeat this thing four times. And wow. finally I was like, is there someone else I can speak to? <laughs> because I don't know the status of this person, but they're going to die if it's going to take yes. long for you to find out where I am. Yes. And then the paramedics got on the phone and he made me do it. And I was like, you know what? I need y'all to just work it out together. I'm on the 101 southbound on the 110 side of the South Harbor. I better hear sirens soon. Yeah. And I got off the phone. So I went over. We did hear sirens soon, by the way. Okay. So I went over and the guy was like, yo, she broke her arm. All right. The woman, the person who The in person pain. in the vehicle broke uh-huh. her arm. So basically what had happened was it looked like two cars had hit each other. Mm-hmm. But what really happened was that she must have fallen asleep at the exchange and she hit the the split. Yep, like she, the embankment. The mm-hmm. embankment, and she spun out. Okay. And so she spun out and was blocking oh. the, the southbound side. Right. Enough where cars could get around, but there was another car blocking her so that she wouldn't get hit. And that was another brother who was a security guard who was also 6'5", and he got out the car and was like, yeah, you know, I parked the car here so she won't get hit, but uh, I called 911, they're on their way. He looked like he was on, like, Martin Luther King's detail. Like, really? he just looked like a brother he who... He could handle yeah, the, like he whatever was sent it was. In, he yeah. was sent in the town yeah. before yeah. it went down. Right. So I went to her side, and I was like, you know, I hope you're okay, and I know that you're in pain. She was like, oh, my God, my arm. I said, look, I'm looking at your arm. You don't have a compound fracture. There's no blood. It looks like, you know, on a surface level, like this looks like something that could heal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and help is on the way. Help is on the way, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm rubbing her back. And she looks up and she's like, is it you? <laughs> and I was like... I don't know how to answer this without yeah. sounding wildly narcissistic. Uh, and I was like, uh, yeah, yes, yes it is. And she was like, Amanda Seals! And I was like, let's focus on things. Right. She was like, tell me this. How the car look? <laughs> and I was like, girl, you actually, yo, you all right. The car's running. Oh, okay. you, Your arm is banged up more than yeah. the car. You straight, you straight. Yeah, she yes. was like, oh my God, thank you. Oh my God, my God. Amanda Seals, I done busting the car. And then I... So now I'm just like, oh my God, like, okay, you know, because on TV shows, when you late, you mess up so many lives that day. Sure, (laughs) sure. And so I said out loud, like, this is my first day back in Insecure, but I wanted to stop and make sure you were okay. And then uh, Martin Luther King's security guard (laughs) was like, sister, we got this. We got this. We got this. Then the other brother was like, she good, she good. And I was like, you done found two six foot five brothers on the 110 exchange on the southbound side of the 101. At five o'clock in the morning. You, sister, you going to be all right. And so, but that was one of those moments where, like... I only stopped because it was the right because thing it to was do. the right thing to do. 
And it ended up giving me material forever. True. <laughs> and Every- then also, I won't lie to you. You know, if I'm being honest, like, that felt good for me that that in this woman's, like, pain and, yes. and suffering, yes. she was still, like, happy to see me. Yes. And that let me know, well, you're doing something right. But I didn't go there for that. No, you didn't. You just stopped because that's it how just, you were raised. It, that's it. You respond to human need. You know what I love about that story? I love everything about that story. But what I one of the things I noticed about that story was that here it is that, that early in the morning, 4.35 o'clock in the morning, and three people of color stop to help a stranded motorist. Who also happened to be a person of color. Right. We didn't know that. You couldn't right. see that you from couldn't, the car. You couldn't see that from the car. So all three of you stopped because it was the right thing to do. And each of us played different roles. Like yes. the security guard had blocked his, his, put his car there. Right. You know, the other guy, he went to go check on her. Yes. And then I'm calling. You like, call, we just kind yeah. of fell into place. Just black people handling shit. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Just, and a lot of times I think that ends up happening simply because we're not accustomed to people handling shit for us. Yes. Um, And so that was a very... And, of course, I got to set late, and they were like, well, of course you won't be late because you're a hero. I mean, yeah. God damn. Like, <laughs> if there's any good reason to be late, I guess that's the that's, one. That would be the one. But it felt, in a time that right now can feel very hopeless, Yeah. Um, if you're a conscious, if you're, in, if you're even vaguely conscious mm-hmm. right now. And mm-hmm. I think it's important to, to add that distinction, because... If you've been hella conscious, you've known that this everything has been on some BS for quite some time. Mm-hmm. But if you're even vaguely conscious right now, you're like, I don't know, but things just kind of don't mm-hmm. feel right. Mm-hmm. And that lets you know how deep it is when it's so close to the surface. And so when moments like that happen, it makes you feel like even for just a moment, like we're going to be all right. It's like when you right. see videos on the dodo yeah, where they've saved right. yet another pit bull yeah. from being euthanized. Right. And you're like. You know what? It's going to be all right. These white people is going to save these dogs. And we're going to save each other. Right. And it may just all add up. It may just work. We may <laughs> we may just pull this off. But um, Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> with Amanda Seals in the world, we are all going to be all right. I'm going to try. <sighs> Thank you, darling. Thank you. Um, Amanda Seals, she is um, smart. She is funny. And in the event you hadn't noticed, she is very, very black. She's also brilliant. Her new book, Small Doses. Potent Truths for Everyday Use. Comes out October 22nd. It's a literary component to my podcast, Small Doses, which is available on... Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, wherever pods are casted. Yep. And you have done my podcast. I have. Side effects of reading. I I was I was a very um, willing guest, um, and we had a great time. We did. Amanda Seals, I love you. Thank you for uh, for playing. I love Uh, you too. Thanks for having me. We've got another conversation dropping in this feed on October fifteenth. So get ready, y'all. I'll see you next time. But you don't have to take my. Stitcher.